This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. One major league soccer owner is leading a $50 million investment. The blurring of the lines between sports team owners and the sports gambling space. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Evan Novi Williams. Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Heidi O'Neill is president of direct-to-consumer at Nike. Then the race car driver, Elio Castro. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we are joined by a special guest host, Mike Lynch. He has covered sports for decade, most notably in Boston, and has since started up a weekly podcast of his own, Loby Lynchy and Friends with Hank Morse. Mike, Welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. You, you've done so much in the Boston area. I, I guess I'm going to start with the question. What is the number one story in Boston that sticks out in your mind that you cover? Well, most recently, it's the departure of Tom Brady going down to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A guy named Brady leaves the city of Boston on St. Patrick's Day, which a lot of people are still haven't gotten over. And a lot of people are pointing the finger, some pointing at Bill Belichick, some pointing at Robert Kraft. Not too many people pointing it at Tom Brady, though. Uh, most people are thankful for the 20 years, the six Super Bowl championships, and, you know, two decades of just uh, quality living on the field and off the field, and a lot of people are very grateful. But that, without question, the biggest story that we've had, um, and there have been a lot of them going on uh, this, this off season. the firing of Alex Cora, uh, and, of course, uh, the, the pending investigation of sign-stealing, which uh, probably is going to – it's completed, but it's coming down eventually. Now, one of the things that I remember about when – because I'm a native Detroiter. And, yes, you are. <laughs> yes. And, oh, it, it, see, you're lucky because you got – you got a chance to six of them, six Super Bowls. It, it's an, oh, with Tom, oh, it was beautiful. And I'm so happy for you. And uh, I have nothing. So it's, <laughs> the Detroit Lions, uh, God bless us. We're so bad. We are a Jeopardy question, man. That's, that's how bad we are. But, I mean, you've had such success in your town. With football, obviously with Tom Brady. I guess the only connection that I can say Tom Brady is that he was from the University of Michigan. So there's a little connection that we've got. But it, it, what is it like when you have a powerhouse like that? Well, you, when you're planning your year, you plan on people will say to you, well, do you want to uh, go on vacation in January? And you just don't even think about it because you know that <laughs> there'll be a bye week the first week in January. And then you plan on playing through February, the, the first week in February, and then right after that, spring training starts. So that's pretty much how it happens every year. And, you know, remember, they've won six, but they've also been to nine. They lost three Super Bowls, one to the Eagles and two to the Giants. So, you know, pretty much half of Tom Brady's career, he's played in a Super Bowl. And it's, uh, it's, it's been an incredible run. And then we had one year where we had the, the Patriots, Super Bowl, Red Sox beat the uh, Dodgers in the World Series, and then in the spring, the, the Bruins went seven games with the St. Louis Blues in the in the Stanley Cup Finals. So it's been a it's been a pretty good run in this decade. Uh, there's been a lot of championships and and a lot of uh, visits to NBA, Stanley Cup, World Series, and and Super Bowls. I'd like to share it with all you guys and spread it out around a couple of the cities. But <laughs> Mike, it's no secret, obviously, that the Boston teams 
you know, more so than a lot of other teams in a lot of other cities are very analytics heavy. You know, shout out to Jess Gelman, who runs Craft Analytics Group. Do you think yep. that Boston fans, be they Patriots fans, Red Sox fans, are both at this point are just kind of used to the fact that these teams are going to make decisions that, you know, maybe, you know, go against what the heart of the fan wants. But there's enough evidence right now that says that sometimes these hard decisions end up working out for those franchises in the end. Do people understand that, do you think, or no? Yes, I do. And I think it all started when Theo Epstein was here. He had a little group that he had in the basement of uh, Fenway Park. Uh, Peter Woodfork was one of his uh, analytics guy, who was now the head of uh, umpires for Major League Baseball. And that it all started then. Uh, they, had a, they had a nickname, which a name escapes me for a computer, but it was uh, basically their, uh, uh, their conscience. And, and whatever the computer said, they'd pass along to the, uh, to the manager. And Terry Francona was the manager uh, for most of that time. And, and Francona bought into it, and it works. Uh, and the Red Sox have won four World Series uh, this century, and people and, and fans are buying into it. You know, there are a lot of guys that just go with gut instincts, but I think that fans, that's uh, a good point, Evan, that they are buying into it. I know Jess Gelman was, uh, you know, she was a, a great player. She played basketball at Harvard, and she's been uh, working for the Crafts for a long time, and, and it works for them. And I think, the, you know, Bill Belichick works that way, too. He basically uh, rips his heart out of his chest when he makes personnel decisions and goes with the numbers and the analytics, and he obviously has the record to prove that it works for him. Uh, you got to join us, man, and uh, we talk about some of the top stories that we look at uh, during the week uh, in the sports business. And we're going to start with President Trump's phone call with the commissioners of nearly every U.S. sport. And I just wonder what the president was going to say to them when I was thinking about this story. What can you say? I mean, yes, you want everybody to get back and back his business as usual. I'm not so sure there will ever be a business as usual now after this coronavirus. So as you said, Michael, you know, th this phone call happened on Saturday. Uh, the, the commissioners of the big leagues, right? So Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman, Rob Manford, uh, Adam Silver, all on the call, as well as commissioners from some smaller leagues, WNBA, WWE, PGA Tour, LPGA, UFC, etc. cetera. Uh, from what Donald Trump said afterwards and also some reporting through ESPN, it sounds like the messaging was, you know, we're hoping to have fans in stadiums and arenas in August or maybe by September, you know, NFL season should continue as normal, as scheduled. Um, yeah, it sounds as though, and I think, you know, Donald Trump is aligned with, with everybody on that call in, in thinking that the, the sooner that sports can get up and running in a healthy way, the better it is for everybody. Well, I mean, who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first uh, big uh, major sporting event uh, when it hasn't been proven that a group of 20,000 or 45,000 people can be safe. Um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of apprehension, even when these uh, games eventually uh, are back up and leagues are opened, I think you're going to see sparse attendance because I think a lot of people just aren't going to be comfortable sitting in a stadium shoulder to shoulder with people. And I, I think, you know, the president's having a pipe dream here. Uh, I know what he wants to do. He wants to get everybody back to work. But this isn't like, you know, the Depression. This isn't like after 9-11 uh, where, where, you know, we want to get everybody back and get the country up and moving again uh, or after some other some type of natural disaster that's regionalized like a tornado or a flood or an earthquake. This is this is different. This is a pandemic and it's the invisible enemy. And. I think that I think that it's going to be a long time before you you're going to see sixty eight thousand people, you know, in a football stadium or one hundred and ten thousand 
10,000 people at the big house out, out in Michigan. That's just my thought. I think people are just going to be it. I'm not going to be the first one to test this. We just did the story that 90% go ahead, go ahead, of the people uh, in Associated Press poll are practicing uh, social distancing. So I think you're right. And I'm sorry, Evan, go ahead, because I just wanted to bring that point was, in there. One of the things that really jumped out to me about this, this Trump call, it sounds as though, according to ESPN, that, that Donald Trump raised the possibility that these sports leagues get together and start lobbying for some tax incentives that they lost back in 2017, 2018. And if you remember, you know, part of the tax overhaul that happened then, the deductions that companies were allowed to take for concessions and tickets when they, you know, do, do big groups or entertain clients at sporting events, those were taken away. You know, so under previous rules, if you were, pick a company, if you were Facebook and you had a suite at AT&T Stadium or whatever the baseball stadium is called there, um, you were able to deduct 50% of the, of the ticket value. You were able to deduct 50% of the food cost when you went there and entertained clients and, and, and customers. Uh, that no longer exists anymore, right? So there's apparently talk, and I had not heard this at all from anyone else in the sports business world. So I don't know if, if, if leagues are actually considering this, but Donald Trump apparently did raise the possibility that they get together and maybe lobby some federal entity to get those tax breaks back as maybe a way to kind of boost revenue in the early stages. Because I think you're right, Mike. I think, you know, it's going to be a while before average Joe fan or even a, a big subset of fans feels comfortable going to games in, in that size venue even after the, 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 the officials say it's okay to do so. I mean, if someone offered you a ticket to go to uh, you know, a Yankees game on August 15th, and it's the, the first game back after this pandemic, I mean, and, they, and, and you even were sitting in a luxury seat and they sent you a limo to go to the game, would you accept it or would you turn it down? I would probably turn it down personally. I mean, I think that you know, in knowing yeah. kind of the way these sports teams are thinking, getting games up and running even without fans is a big priority. You know, so I, I believe and I know that, you know, Adam Silver fully believes that he can he can restart this league and maybe do it in a smart way that protects the referees, the players, the coaches, and maybe do it without fans. And that is at least a middle ground to, to getting some business up and running, to making your, your, your broadcast partners happy, et cetera. And, and that is certainly a, 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 an early stage something that all these leagues are looking at. Speaking of the controversy, let's talk about the controversial move from Ultimate Fighting. They are going to go ahead with a fight plan for April 18th. Yeah, there's not many details out right now as we record this. We don't even know where this event is going to be. You know, Dana White has been adamant over the past few weeks that this is going to happen. Uh, he has said that they have a, a, a location picked, but won't say where it is. Uh, there were some rumblings about the Middle East. Now there's some rumblings about the U.S. somewhere out on the West Coast. Um, but it seems pretty clear that, you know, at a time when all these sports are shutting down, Dana White and UFC really believe that they can do this in a healthy way and that by doing so, they're kind of giving a lift to a population that maybe wants some, some sporting distraction and maybe also kind of trailblazing a potential path forward for other sports. I don't, I don't see how he can pull it off in this country unless he's in one of the 10 states that doesn't have the, uh, the stay-at-home order. I mean, how can he possibly do it? I, I know it wouldn't happen in, in New York City or Los Angeles right now. I heard someone suggesting that maybe if he does it on tribal land, then, you know, there's different regulatory uh, bodies and different kind of different, just the, the rules are a little different on, on some tribal land. And maybe there's a way that he could do that. He could host it there. I mean, I, there's not going to be fans at this thing, obviously. And I believe he's said that it's going to be a pretty sparse 
you know, crew of, you know, medical professionals and also, you know, TV crew, et cetera. But yes, there's a, there's a lot of questions that need to get answered in the next few weeks for this event, which is supposed to take place on, on Saturday, April 18th, for this to actually happen. You know, it, it, it's hard to label this thing uh, anything other than irresponsible, uh, from, from my vantage point, <clears throat> given like what uh, every other league and and what everybody's doing, I mean, what businesses are doing, what restaurants are doing, what um, supermarkets are doing, allowing, you know, 10 people at a time to come into a, to a, to a supermarket. I mean, how can, how can you have two guys that are just, you know, sweating all over each other? And uh, it's just, I don't know. It just, it seems irresponsible to me. Yeah, it, it sounds as though the plan here may be kind of what, you know, and, and Michael, you and I talked about this last week, this idea that a lot of sports are floating around about, you know, holding their league in a bubble in some capacity. Um, and, and, I've, and I've heard that, you know, wherever this event is going to take place for UFC, it may be the spot where they hold, you know, their next two or three events or even more moving forward, right? So they want to be kind of almost fully up and running, at least from a broadcast standpoint you know, after April 18th. Uh, but this idea that sports leagues can maybe take over a town or a college dormitory and a rink, whatever it is, kind of move everybody to one place. And ideally, if you can kind of ensure that the virus is not spreading within that one place among that very small subset of athletes, coaches, et cetera, then you can maybe host games that can be broadcast. Well, we'll see. I get it that, yes, they want to have a sport and, and it's great and, and good for them. But it's like you said, Mike, uh, the, I'm not sure about uh, how responsible this is, especially during this time, April 18th. Uh, let's, let's at least get through, put it off at least two or three months. I mean, heck, we're talking about uh, tennis matches and, and golf tournaments now going in December. Why not just move this to like September or October? I don't understand that. So here's well, a question, I think- guys. I don't know how much either of you are big UFC MMA fans, but would you watch it? If come April 18th, if you have gone six weeks without watching a live sporting event and suddenly broadcast on ESPN is, you know, a, a fairly high profile UFC set of fights, would you guys watch that live? Probably would. And that, that and that's probably why they want to go ahead, because they know that they have a <laughs> yeah. not only not only a captive audience, a desperate audience. And there's a big difference there. They have a desperate audience out there looking for some type of live competition. How many times can you watch the ball going through Bill Buckner's legs? How many times can you watch the, you know, the, the replay of, you know, uh, the late Kobe Bryant's last uh, NBA championship uh, against the Celtics? Uh, and so it's live competition. And yeah, people would be desperate. So people, I, I probably would watch it just out of curiosity and, and out of boredom. You know who else would be desperate? to have this going all of the sports books because yeah we've had like you know Mm -hmm. english darts right now for for betting this would be a huge uh, betting opportunity and they can make some money back uh, that they've already lost michael i almost bet on burundi soccer this weekend i I didn't i didn't end up doing it but i was looking at it (laughs) that's how that's how sparse the the global sports calendar is right now guys we we gotta go on my DraftKings app burundi (laughs) soccer we gotta go have some beers and we'll talk about this man we'll we'll get you settled down finally let's talk about something that's going on now in the nba 2k players tournament 
uh, from the weekend. Evan, I, I know this is all you, man. You love this. <laughs> I did. I, I thought this was a really good idea and, and pretty good execution for folks who haven't seen uh, over the weekend ESPN, and it's going to continue for, I think, the next two weeks, airing a uh, esports tournament, essentially. So the, the, the big NBA basketball uh, video game. NBA stars playing against each other in kind of a March Madness style Sweet 16 bracket. Um, and I thought they did a really good job. The, the, the gameplay itself, I don't think, is particularly interesting. It's not a good substitute for basketball. But having two NBA players, fairly well-known people, kind of on the screen, talking to each other, joking with each other, making fun of how bad the player is in the game itself, or just talking about their experience you know, on or off the court. I think this is exactly what ESPN should be trying to get to more of. Just, just these guys, a sense of their personalities in their living rooms, having fun with each other. That to me is, is, is the way to solve some of, not all, but some of the problems that ESPN and other broadcasters are having with no live sports. I agree with you, Evan. I think it's, uh, I think it's a very clever, and I also think it lets them uh, inside. A lot of these guys, you know, you, you don't know their personalities, and you know they're just so busy. They're playing three or four days a week, and they're getting on airplanes. They're playing games, and they do quick interviews after games. And now you see a personal side of them. And a lot of kids play video games. And a lot of kids can identify with what's going on with these guys here. And I think the good-natured give-and-take back and forth between, uh, between the players that are competing here uh, is something good. I think it's creative. I think it's innovating. And, uh, you know, hats off to, uh, to, to ESPN for running it. It's, it's not very long. It, it ends this week, I think, right? Yeah, it, it ends soon. I, I, the, uh, I can't remember exactly who's in. I know that, that um, the number one seed, Kevin Durant, lost in, in the very first game. I'll give you an experience that I had with it because I thought this was very fun. When Andre Drummond played Boogie Cousins, absolute blowout, by the way, 101 to 49. So if they do this again, <laughs> they got to make sure that they get some, <laughs> they get some balance on the, on the scores there. But there was a moment in there when Andre Drummond turned to Boogie Cousins and said, hey, what, what's the craziest dunk you've ever seen live? You know, and Boogie thought about it for a second. He was like, you know, I'm going to surprise you here. Back in, college, back in high school, he went, to, he went to high school in Alabama, uh, our team was playing against Julio Jones, now wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. And Julio Jones threw down the most, the most insane dunk that he had ever seen. Apparently the fans stormed the court. It took 15 minutes to get the game back up and running. And he was like, it's the craziest dunk I've ever seen. So I go down a rabbit hole. I'm like, I got to see a video of this dunk, right? Look around the internet. There's no video online anywhere of it. But mm. I did find the audio call from the high school basketball announcer down in Alabama at the time. And the audio is fantastic. You know, it's like a normal, you know, <laughs> sleepy college, ba sleepy basketball call. And then something crazy happens and it is just pandemonium in the arena. You can just hear it. Um, anyway, it's stuff like that. It's just like a fun way, as you said, Mike, to get, you know, to get a, a sense of these guys' personalities, get them with their guard down a little bit, which is probably, you know, they're much more comfortable in this setting talking to their peers than they might be just sitting on a, on an ESPN set talking to a journalist. Um, but yep. yeah, you get a sense of who they are and you get kind of fun little anecdotes like Julio Jones having thrown down the, the biggest dunk that Boogie Cousins has ever seen. We're seeing a and, lot and of this, the, the virtual stuff. We're seeing this with uh, the NBA 2K Players Tournament. NASCAR has been running all these races, virtual races. Yeah. Uh, IndyCar also started this past weekend. Uh, this is going to be the way we're going to be going until we get the real sports back. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the National Football League follows suit, and maybe maybe even Major League Baseball. You know, it's it, it's it's kind of fun to see the, the personalities and see these guys dissing on each other and uh, bringing up old stories, as you mentioned about that. Uh, the, you know, with Julio Jones. I mean, who knew? That's something I never knew. And 
I like it. I, I, I always like when anytime you can get inside uh, the personality of some of these athletes, because everything is just so homogenized now. When you interview someone, it's almost like a, like a politician. There's a scripted answer, a scripted response, and, and you really get nothing out of it. And I, I think this is you know a throwback to years when there weren't 100 people sitting around someone in someone's locker after an NBA game, and maybe there might be one or two reporters there, and you actually got something out of it. So I think it's, it, it's really enlightening for the fans and, and I think it's uh, I think it's I think it's a great idea. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Evan Duffy Williams, special guest host Mike Lynch. We are here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. You can join us again at the end of the week. We're going to continue speaking with the biggest and brightest in the sports business world. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world, and online wherever you get your podcasts.